You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. In a world filled with cigars, craft beer, comics, movies, and video games, only two men are brave enough to search out all things nerdy. It's the Cigar Nerds Podcast! And welcome to Cigar Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Smokin' Joe. I'm Brad Jackson. And here we are again for a another Cobra Kai episode. <laughs> yes. I, you know, we I had my reservations on the last season. And this season, I don't know, for some reason it felt renewed, refreshed. I, I was a lot happier this go-round with Cobra Kai. Like, yeah, and we'll get into all that in the main segment. But first, what are we smoking this week, Brad? Uh, this week we have the CAO... BX3, and that is Bravo Mike 3, or Bravo X-Ray 3. <laughs> Not to be infused with the MX2, which we also well, uh, And that, that was my problem enjoyed. with the cigars. I kept wanting to be like, MX3? No, not at all. It's, uh... Isn't that like a gang? No, that's MS13. My bad. <laughs> we'll also get into that later in this season. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... If you uh, are a fan of the CAO Brasilia, this is Brazil times three, meaning it has three different Brazilian tobaccos. Uh, yeah, this, this has way. your Brazilian Matafina, the Brazilian Arapacara, and the Brazilian Honduran, Mexican, and Nicaraguan fillers. Um, I gotta say, like, traditionally, I am not a fan of the CAO Brazilian, um, but... It's not bad. I, I don't I know. I've had if... it a couple times in like a sampler pack, but it's not one that I go to. I mean, I smoke a lot of CAOs, but it's not one of my that's in my regular rotation. Yeah, I mean, this to me, I guess maybe the combination of the different Brazilian cigars, as well as having a little bit of the, you know, Honduran, Mexican, and Nicaraguan um, fillers, help you know sort of give me I'm I'm a very very big fan of Nicaraguan cigars. So this is much more my wheelhouse. Um you know you get a sweetness and earthiness. Uh there's a complexity like yeah, kind of a espresso coffee chocolatey you know hints to it as well. It, and it's a it's bold. It's it's got like a lot of I'm it's too early to say it's strong, but it's got a lot of flavor i mean to me i i would put this you know they're on the medium range but at the same time this brings a lot of flavors a lot of complexity to the table and i think that's one of the reasons why i'm preferring this right now so much more than the traditional CEO brazilian this this to me is reminiscent of the MX2 and the MX2 I will still smoke to this day but that's probably you know 6 7 years ago the cigar that I smoked the most yeah that and the uh the rabid reindeer which was just an MX2 with extra lajero which I always always liked and this like you know we've talked about pairing cigars with drinks and stuff this would probably be a good bourbon cigar because it's 
got enough like flavor that it's not the whiskey's not going to like overpower it, but at the same time, it's not super strong. It's not going to overpower the whiskey. No, I think this would be a very complimentary, you know, cigar. Uh, it's got enough boldness to where it's going to stand on its own without being dominated. At the same time, you know, the leatherness of a, all right, and a smokiness too of, depending on the type of whiskey. Um, I'm not a big, I've learned, I am not a big rye fan. Um, but I could definitely see that being a good pairing with this. Yeah, I've had, I've had the rye, but yeah, I still prefer like your kind of standard bourbon uh, a rye for me if you're doing you know something like a moscow mule maybe you know um but even like in an old-fashioned or something like i still um, or even or like a, a rum i much prefer the like aged smoky rums uh-huh. versus like the super sweet like shit you'd put in your pina colada like a, you know like a like a Ron Zapac or something like that it kind of almost has a whiskiness to it cuz it's a little it's a little smoky you know a little oaky uh, instead of just like straight up sugar <laughs> Absolutely yeah I, I I don't know I mean like you said it's early in this cigar but it's far exceeded my expectations just in this first third and if you're going to go down to Brazil to collect some fine tobaccos and uh, coffee, you should probably call in the Strikeforce. Strikeforceenergy.com. <laughs> My transitions are, like, pushing it this week. <laughs> Strikeforceenergy.com. Use your promo code CIGARNERDS for 20% off your order. Get your uh, energy up so you can fight off uh, evil ninjas from uh, wherever the people Terry Silver's brought in from. <laughs> and speaking of things that are... Uh, you know, bolder this time around. We're about to talk about season five of Cobra Kai. No mercy. Welcome out. It's time to you know, bow in and start this session. Mm. Konnichiwa and whatnot. I, I'm looking at your set dressing here on the table. I'm like, mm. <laughs> it's only one sword. Uh, I, I guess I'm getting the... Uh, Come on, we'll do like the chosen... I'm getting the bow staff. We'll do like the chosen duel. Uh, uh, you know, one of us gets the sword, the other one gets the size. And I have no idea how to use those, so yeah, we're kind of equally uh, <laughs> ignorant in this fight. <laughs> but chosen with the size, dude. Dude, that, that was badass. That was legit. I didn't even notice the size till just now. <laughs> I appreciate you looking out. I'm like, I got a bow staff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we are talking about Season 5 of Cobra Kai. And as you alluded to in the intro... 
it de- it was different than what's previous. Like last season, I, I dude, I gotta say honestly, I sort of struggled uh, with last season. Like I, I was like, hey, it just we keep going down the same avenues. Yeah, and and this this go round, like I don't know if it's because the stakes felt so much higher. Or it wasn't just a, you know, bunch of rehashing of the same old drama, like, you know, I. I but at the same time, it was like tied up all the drama from the previous movies. See, this felt to me more like a sequel of you know, Karate Kid or something. Like, I I, I don't know. There there was just a breath of fresh air and, and i don't know if maybe some of the cast additions with chosen and with you know silvers bringing in all of his you know international people like like things just i don't know they felt different in a good way yeah it was so different this season because i don't know maybe last season like I said, there was the whole thing with Silvers and uh, and bringing him in, and of course, Crease, and they're kind of having that showdown at the All Valley Tournament to decide, you know, which dojo is going to uh, reign supreme. And then we kind of got a little cock tease last season because at the end of season three, we're like, "Cool, Johnny and Daniel are gonna finally." work together and they did that for maybe one episode before their personal drama got in the way again and then they fucking went their separate ways with their dojos where this season they were finally like working together through most of the season and i think maybe that's the the fresh air um and that also, i picked up be like the uh previous seasons or especially last season focused heavily on the kids and their drama and whatnot, where this season, like you said, they felt like there was more at stake because they barely touched on, like, the kids. It was mainly, like, the adults beating the shit out of each other. So this, like like you said, this does feel like a sequel to Karate Kid because I felt like it focused way more on Daniel and Johnny than their students this season. Yeah, and that was the thing is, you know... I, I I don't know, you know, I, I, I get it. The drama has its place and, you know, people love that shit. Me, I hate drama. So, but at the same time, like it wasn't just, all right, the kids are the product of the parents' environment and they're going at it because their parents can't move on. Like this time around, it was like, no, this is some straight up gangland, uh, you know, type shit and i i love that you know the roles kind of switched this time you know it wasn't just johnny going off the deep end like all right dude grow up like you're not you know a fucking teenager like this time it was you know larusso more so struggling with his demons and everything and you know Johnny really coming into his own and showing some maturity that you know. Yeah, up Johnny this, like really looked like they a really this time. rounded I mean, was, out yes. that character, and I, I think 
a lot of that had to, you know, do with my perception of this season. I gotta say, since the last time we talked, I had no idea this is a local show. I had no idea that this thing is filmed Dude, here it's in Netflix. Georgia. Everything's filmed in Atlanta with Netflix. And because I have a buddy of mine who travels a lot for work, and he's always posting, when he goes to a different city, he will, like, look out famous movie locations and, like, post pictures of stuff. And then he posted a picture of, like, the original Cobra Kai dojo from the series. And he's, like, tagged it like, you know, Atlanta. I'm like, the fuck? And I look this up. I'm like, oh, the entire series has been shot here. That's kind of how good their set design is that it all looks like the original movie location of California. You act like Black Panther was never filmed in Atlanta. <laughs> then again, I mean, Black Panther is an original product. This is recreating something from the 80s. And even like Miyagi-Do which was Mr. Maggie's house. That's like not even a, that's a set they built in a parking lot somewhere here in Georgia, but it looks like the original house from California. I was like kind of amazed to find out like, Oh fucking Cobra Kai is just located like South Atlanta in a strip mall. <laughs> they said they were expanding, dude. Why are you surprised? I mean, silver's a hell of a businessman apparently. <laughs> yeah. I, like I said, that new dojo he built was, was pretty legit. I mean, fucking state-of-the-art. He even got a fucking juice bar in that place. I'm like, damn, dude. <laughs> How much are your you know, you know student fees? Because that's got to be... Absolutely nothing. <laughs> smuggling cocaine out the back or something. I mean, any, any man with a ponytail, it's like, you're smuggling that cocaine, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I also think, you know, maybe maybe the road trip to Mexico and stuff like that also, you know, like, like I, I don't know, you know, maybe this... Different scenery, kind of like last season when Daniel went to Japan or season before last, whenever that was. It was like, ah, we get a couple episodes that are something different. Yeah, and I think, I think this time, too, it's like, okay, here you are, your little, you know, Valley Karate, you know, championship, blah, 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 but now it's like, Oh no! Like this is this is global. This is you know, and like what you said, adding some kind of uh, stakes to the whole thing, where he's like, "Oh, someone might actually get hurt." It's not just like who's going to be the new Valley Champion. It's like last season ended up with Miguel. Like I'm going to go to Mexico and find my father, Hector Salazar, and turns out he's like a gangster apparently, <laughs> and has no idea like about him. But for that first couple episodes, you get him going down to Mexico and you get, you know, Robbie, who had left Cobra Kai, is now trying to reconcile with his father. But also, like, he still has a a grudge against uh, Miguel. But yeah, when they go down, him and Johnny go on the road trip to Mexico and, like, the shenanigans they get into, I was like, that was cool. Like, <laughs> the fucking getting their car towed because cause the guy's, like, trying to tell me he needs to move his car. And he's like, nah, man, I don't, uh, I'm not buying anything from you. It's like... <laughs> And then they got to compete in, in a uh, hot pepper duel to uh, win enough money to uh, get their car out of the bound yard. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I love that fact. Like I'm like, when you talk about some of the pepper challenges, I'm like, oh, I know that's going to kick my ass. So, <laughs> And I, even Robbie, like, name-dropped Hot Ones. He's like, dude, nah, like, I love Hot Ones. The show Hot Ones, man. We did, like, our own, like, Hot Ones challenge. Like, I, I can handle this. <laughs> And the fucking sleight of hand. Like. Yeah. Does the uh, the sneaky sneaky and, like, uh, doesn't eat the last pepper. But, uh, yeah, the whole, you're like, you think it's going to be something like, 
All right. Underground fight time. Nope. Pepper challenge, which probably is harder than. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Some of those folks, uh, like, but like the... at, at, at some point, like does skill go out the window and sheer like brute, like, Oh yeah. Sometimes brute strength makes up for bad technique. <laughs> like, yeah, you're going to land a lot of punches, but I can take a lot of punches. Like, <laughs> oh, and that was uh, the the fight before that where when we first see Miguel who thinks he's like, "Oh, I know. I'm I'm from Ecuador or whatever. I know about being international, but he's he grew up in America most of his life. He's not world uh, wise enough to deal with that. And he gets scammed by some Australians like, "Yeah, man, we'll give you uh we'll give you directions." But, oh, he stole your bag, so uh, you, you're going to have to buy your bag back. And then they try to pull the same trick on Johnny. And, you know, Johnny kicks his sh- starts to kick the shit out of him. And, he's, and then all of a sudden, like, Robbie comes in out of nowhere with a flying sidekick. And it's like, oh, yeah, father and son in a street fight. This is some true male bonding time. I'm like, plus they're fighting Kano from Mortal Kombat. Because <laughs> I was like, the first time I saw that guy, I'm like, that dude sounds familiar. And I'm like. Oh no, that's that fucker from the new Mortal Kombat movie. It's Kano. <laughs> well, luckily he didn't pull no fatalities. <laughs> yeah. That that would have ended badly. <laughs> Holy shit. So does that mean we're going to get a karate kid in the, you know, Mortal Kombat universe? Well, pos as we'll talk about later on, they might go to some international tournament next season. They may end up in the Kumite. I don't know. <laughs> Bring in John Claude Van Damme since they're making all the uh, yeah 80s uh, reference in this show. Oh my god, I don't remember the last time I watched Bloodsport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you heard of the Kumite? <laughs> oh. But damn. And then... Uh, you got Robbie with his dad that he's, you know, they did a good job of that reveal of like, you first see him, he's like taking the garbage out at this like uh bodega or whatever. And then he's got like a wife and kid and he's just following around. Like this dude actually looks like a, you know, mom kept saying this guy was dangerous in a dirt bag and he looks like a good dude. And then, you know, happens to save the guy's kid almost getting run over. And he's like, oh, yeah, come stay with us. We'll cook you dinner or whatever. And he's got, like, a nice... And he's like, this dude's, like... Legit family man. Yeah, like... you know, And then, you know, he finds out, like, oh, no, I've not had kids. You know, uh, he's like... And, you know, I've never you know, got around to it. And he's, like, fucking calling his mom. Like, fucking lied to me. He didn't know anything about me. Like, you know, he's, like, a good dude. And and, and then they have that turn where he takes them to... Hey, we're going to go out for the night. And they go to, like, an MMA, like, fight. And it's, like, everyone's, like, you know... Treating him like, oh, it's the boss is here. Let's, uh, like, uh, like, oh, shit, this guy's an actual gangster, maybe. Cause, like, you know, some guys should. <laughs> well, I mean, I love the fact that, you know, the most tourist thing you could ever do is go to a country and buy one of the female body inspector shirts. <laughs> and, of yes. course, nobody ever sees the back of the shirt, so they just. But then again, like. <laughs> I think Johnny and Robbie's, like, federal agents. I, I have to say, if. If you're a federal agent with the FBI, do you have a T-shirt that legit says, "Hey, I'm with the FBI"? Like yes. during a actual investigation, like see, 
in in the world of Hollywood, we've been led to believe that you know the FBI is like fucking the Untouchables, like Elliot Ness, like some serious professionals. In reality, they're kind of dumbasses. <laughs> You much rather handle shit on a local level than get like the feds involved. <laughs> Especially like the last couple of years. Every time it comes out like a story, it's like, oh, the feds fucked that one up. <laughs> so, yes, I could see a couple. Of fe- hey, we're the FBI. <laughs> like, like yeah, it's uh, like I feel like if you're, especially if you're trying to do something, you know, like sort of off the radar, you know, undercover, like, you you wouldn't just put it out there, like, hey, I'm gonna show up in this all-black SUV, and, like... Oh, don't you remember the, uh, it was some rally or something last year, and there was, like, a bunch of dudes all wearing khakis and polos with obvious, you could, printing bad, you could tell they were all carrying guns, but they all pretty much were, like, like, trying to blend into this, like, crowd of protesters but they pretty much were all wearing like the undercover police officer uniform of like khaki and 511 pants and a polo shirt going nah fellow uh protesters i'm one of you <laughs> it's like and they're all wearing like fucking aviator sunglasses too it's like yeah they're uh they failed their stealth check <laughs> yeah somebody needs to go and do some operator training <laughs> <laughs> Like that beard needs to be unkept and uh Yeah. Like looks like you've been growing that beard for about a week. <laughs> uh and you're all wearing the same brand of aviators. Hmm. <laughs> Get that at govx.com, did you? <laughs> well, I mean they give that nice discount for government employees. I mean I'm still trying to figure out how I can get, you know, on that membership. I don't know how good of a discount it is, but sometimes I see what looks like could be all right pricing. The Oakley discounts are real good. <laughs> I'm more of a Ray-Ban person. Never owned a Ray-Ban. But yeah, that when he like sees the F, like somebody tells him about the you know, FBI is looking for you, and he's like going through Miguel's phone and shit, and it's like, oh, this dude is like a legit bad guy, <laughs> apparently. And then he like, completely like freaks out, and like when they bust into the MMA gym, and we get that, MMA versus karate. <laughs> I love the announcer. <laughs> yeah, they just start announcing the fight in the in the not even in the ring, like in the lobby, and then uh, you know he has to use the uh, dad use the scorpion pepper <laughs> special move. <laughs> Felt like that was some West Virginia ninja shit right there. <laughs> I'm gonna adapt and overcome. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like. Like, that's one of the reasons I always wanted to learn, you know, Krav Maga is, you know, one, I think it'd be cool, you know, just a lot of the uh, disarmament, you know, shit. But at the same time, like, it's kind of you use whatever you have at your disposal to give yourself a, um, you know, an advantage. Like, dirty fighting? Nah, tactical advantage. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing, too, about, like, I'm a fan of MMA, I watch it, but then the guys are like, uh, everyone needs to know jujitsu and whatnot, and it's like, it's a great art, but will it help you in a, because I was talking just like statistics, if you're criminally assaulted, it's rarely just one-on-one. 
like criminals tend to hunt in packs because they don't want resistance. You know, they want to overwhelm you with force and get compliance. And I don't want to be around on the ground grappling with a dude when he's got two buddies, like they're running up to kick me in the fucking face. So <laughs> while it's great for MMA and whatnot, but for like actual kind of street combat, I'm like, you kind of, that's, that's where the mixed martial arts come in. You can't yeah. rely too heavily well, on your grappling skills. And I mean, I'll say that's my weakness fight. is, you know, as long as I'm on my feet, I'm going to hold my own, but you know, it's, it's the ground that things really change. Yeah. And it's not like when you're in the gym on a mat, like there's fucking rocks and concrete and glass and <laughs> you're not in your comfortable, uh, you know, outfit. You're in like jeans that might be a little too skinny for you you know it's it's yeah it sounds like you need to go to 511 (laughs) (laughs) i do (laughs) uh but yeah it's like the do you remember the old chuck norris jeans oh yeah they were like supposed to be like stretchy (laughs) so you could kick in them (laughs) i just remember those in the old century catalog uh but i mean that's brand jeans but that's the thing dude Never be afraid of the guy that, you know, has practiced 10,000 moves once. Chuck Norris has practiced that roundhouse kick 10,000 times. That is his specialty. (laughs) Uh, The jump spinning heel kick. I remember Walker, Texas Ranger. Every fight ended up with him jump spinning healing a guy in the face. (laughs) That was the Chuck Norris finishing move. It's like every, even like when he got older and he brought other people in to do most of the fighting, he would still show up and like, Round uh, like fucking spinning heel kick a guy, you know at least once an episode. <laughs> so I had a uh, teacher back in high school, little little guy too, like maybe five two, five three, but that fucker like, I legit watched him like just standing, and he would just jump, and you know I don't know if it's like a a scissor kick that he was doing or what, but ceiling tiles would be destroyed. <laughs> like, he would be eight feet in the air. Like, Oh, yeah. Some of the kids do that. I'm like, it's, I'm like, cool, that shows off a lot of good, like, athleticism, but there's no time in life you're going to need to kick ten foot in the air. <laughs> Is there not? I was like, I'd much rather be able to break bones at, like, you know, regular rib height than, like, ten foot in the air. So Unless Andre gi- the fucking giant standing in front of you, and you're... All the- right. <laughs> Very few times <laughs> that you need to kick that high in the air. <laughs> Some guy calls you an asshole from the second floor, and you need to jump up and kick him off the balcony. Then maybe. Otherwise, <laughs> it's not that practical. <laughs> but it looks cool as shit. And, you know, it's, and that's what's important in life. <laughs> it's not about the execution. It's about looking good doing it. That's what gets you noticed. <laughs> that's what gets you the lady. Speaking of ladies, Tori find like it's this is like a big like her season as well too. It's like because she she was like drinking the Cobra Kai Kool Aid, and then we saw at the end of last season she finds out that oh you know fucking Crease is kind of like a father figure, and she finds out that uh, that Reese uh, or not Reese uh, Silvers had bribed the judge to to make sure she won and framed uh crease and she's trying to like kind of secretly bring him down but in the end she's like oh i can't 
also trust Kreese. I guess got to like, you know, do this on my own and finally kind of buried the hatchet with uh, the LaRussos and, and everybody and kind of went back to the... That's, there's so many flips in this fucking show. It's like, how many people am like, all right, you started off as a good guy, then you became an asshole, then you went back to being the good guy, and uh, you're the asshole now? No, no, you're a good guy again. <laughs> it's like, like hell, Yuck. fucking Hawk. How many times has Hawk switched sides in this series? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. But I, I, I do like, you know, too, how... You know, this season, they really showed a lot of the manipulation and, you know, the prey tactics that Cobra Kai was using, you know, to... Yeah, Silvers is a master manipulator. Like, even when he, like, hosting the charity event just to fuck with Daniel and ends up, like, just basically, like, talking Daniel into, like, trying to fight him in the middle of this thing and, and making, you know, making him look bad and making his, you know his wife getting pissed off and like, you know, I'm going to my mother's house in Ohio, like until you straighten out your crowdy bullshit. And then she ends up going to see, which I thought they, cause they keep bringing back people from the original movies. Well, it turns out Daniel's girlfriend from karate kid three, where we meet silvers is actually his wife's cousin. And she's like, Oh no, that Terry silvers guy is a piece of shit. Like, here's like all the things he did to us. Like no wonder Daniel's like fucking traumatized by this guy. And he's like, oh, I thought this was just, you know, more of his karate bullshit like him and Johnny. He's like, no, this guy's a legit, like, bad fucking dude. And <laughs> Daniel may be, like, you know, a little obsessed with it, but he's got a fucking reason. <laughs> I love the fact, too, that, you know, they're in there and she, you know, runs into, you know, the the typical, you know, Hey, we're still in, you know, not <laughs> yeah. going to let you live those high school years because we never moved past high school. Um, and y'all are successful, the, uh, so fuck you. <laughs> the uh, the bar brawl, uh, you know, and Sam coming in and doing work. Like, that was cool. I was like, Yeah, because she's all like, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I'm like, I want to give up karate. I want to quit dating Miguel. I need to find out who I am. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, fuck. I got to save my mom. Maybe karate's not all bad. <laughs> Oh, it's like, oh yeah, we're just going, you know, have some, nah, nah. <laughs> and the, uh, the big surprise this season, Johnny might be a father again. So he's like, had this thing of like Robbie, Miguel, even, and even like, uh, the, the fight at the water park, it's like. Robbie was like, because he's like left Cobra Kai, but he's kind of not anything else yet. And he's trying to like stop Cobra Kai from bullying people. And Miguel's like, oh, you're fucking starting this fight. And it's like, no, dude, I was trying to break the fight. It's kind of like the Johnny Daniel, like mistaken shit that keeps like building up drama where it's like those two keep going head. And then Johnny's like, all right, I'm about to be a dad and I'm, these two fuckers are going to have to be, these two fuckers are going to have a new brother or sister. I got to get them on the same page. And he's like, tries to do, it's fucking like watching Periton tips on YouTube. And it's like, all right, we're going to do an escape room. And like that home built escape room was pretty dope. I was like, that's pretty fucking cool. Outside Based the, on young guns. <laughs> outside the fact that he couldn't escape his own escape room that he built. That, <laughs> yeah. that was a, you know, miscalculation. But it's because he's like so rooted in the eighties. He's like, we're we're Billy the Kid's gang, and we got to break out of this prison. And he's like going through like, Dad, is this just Young Guns too? 
shut up, it's a great movie. But yes, this is Young Guns too. <laughs> and then finally, like, you know, Daniel comes in, and he's like, all like, my wife left me, and like, this, like, I need your help with, like, silvers and shit. And he's like, he's like, well, hell, we're friends now. Maybe we should have, like, just kicked the shit out of each other and got this stuff out of our system long ago instead of, like, the years of, you know, this drama. And he's like, hmm, Daniel son might have it right. And he finally just brings it, he's like, all right, I'm tired of y'all's bullshit. Fight. Just whatever your problem y'all got, let's just hash it out. And that was a pretty, he's like, there's no, there's no points. There's no timer. Just fucking fight until y'all are done. Got this shit out of your system. And they start beating the fuck out of me. He's like, all right, second floor is off limits. Uh, uh Oh shit. I may have fucked up. These guys are going to kill each other. But how many times in school did you have somebody that was like a bully or a douchebag to you until you like stood up and like fought that motherfucker. And then after that you were like friends. Oh yeah. I, I mean, that was the thing, you know, I mean, and I guess that's what's so different between, you know, the modern era and back then, like back then, like once you were done squabbling, that was it. Like yeah. one guy was victorious. One guy wasn't, but you know, usually unless the person was an Uber asshole, you picked each other off the ground shook hands you you know you bo- like, All right, both go to your parents my ass, with black eyes and yeah. your parents are like what's up <clears throat> nothing we're here for pop tarts <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean I, I know several guys that i was friends with in high school that we started out like kicking the shit out of each other and it was like all right cool we're we're past this now we're, we're good but nowadays it's more like you saw with the last season with daniel son's kid and uh uh, the, the guy that, uh, the new, new kid in, uh, Cobra Kai, the fucking cyberbullying and are, are like pranking and shit and like posting that shit on the internet to like embarrass them. Like there's no like, Hey, you're an asshole. Let's meet every school and, and settle this. It's like, no, it's very much like, Oh, I'm just going to make your online life a living hell because yeah, I ain't got no balls to like, you know, handle stuff. Like they use, yeah. and and even if you do handle stuff, it's like, oh, y'all are going to jail, or you're all getting kicked out of school, or <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a weird thing. Like I heard like some middle school here locally, I guess you know a couple of people got into it, and you know a teacher intervened, and you know now they've suspended the teacher and everything. It's like, what? Like I don't understand. Like <laughs> I don't know. I'm just not cut out for whatever fucking society is trying to do these days like it just does not pass the common sense test yeah it's like i mean i was a i was a a fat kid i got bullied but i punched a few people in the face and i didn't get bullied anymore but nowadays it's like it doesn't stop there it's like oh i'm just gonna like post rumors about you online and just fucking like harass uh, yeah like i think someone was i heard someone say the other day like yeah you're back in the day y'all didn't have internet like i left my bullies at school but your bully has access to you know, my bully has access to me 24 hours a day because they live in my fucking phone and I mean, more. at the same time, I know where the block button is and you know, I don't know. We're older. So I guess, you know, there's we, very little like that affects me anymore. Like, know, unless it like probably don't physically affects up me and you know, the I don't social media, <laughs> you know, bullshit the way that I would, you know, fuck. I got teenage girls. So yeah, they're, yeah they're, you're they're, still living in that drama. Mine haven't got there yet. It's coming. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like more. Maybe more kids need to fucking take martial arts, learn some respect and some self confidence and self reliance. That stay off the fucking internet, man. Like, 
do some shit. <laughs> you know, if we were, you know, internet and social media didn't come into effect until, you know, kind of the end of our high, high school eras, or at least mine. So, yeah, we didn't have to really deal with that bullshit. If somebody wanted to talk shit about you, they had to do it while you were there. Yeah, but the internet was so slow that, you know... <laughs> Somebody talked shit about me. I didn't hear about it for a week later because it took that long for it to. <laughs> well, I mean, e- even in our internet heyday, like, dial up, I, man. <laughs> I mean, we didn't. You know, there wasn't really social media then. You know, we were in the fucking AOL chat rooms. Okay, that's where yeah, we were. We were trying to have cyber sex. We weren't trying to bully people. <laughs> and waiting three hours for that one porn picture to download. <sighs> shit got fast. It's kind of like more money, more problems. It's like more internet speed, more more internet problems. But yeah, we got chosen joining the cast full time this season, and it, I I love the uh, when he goes tries to go undercover in Cobra Kai, and Silver like he's like makes a mistake of say you know, doing some kind of toast that if someone from the town he said he was gonna do would never have done drinking that was it the what was the Japanese whiskey is it the Satori or. It's some good ass Japanese remember, whiskey, but I haven't had it. I don't remember, it yet. but dude, like I've been wanting to try Japanese whiskey for a long time, and I've yet to try it. So one weekend, dude, we're gonna do some Japanese whiskey tasting. Yeah, I keep hearing it's good. I've not, I've not tried any of that except for like some sake here and there. But he ambushes, you know, he shows up at Cobra Kai the next day, and all the like the new kind of rec- instructor recruits. He's like, all right, whoever wants a job, you got to kick the shit out of this man, and chosen like fucks up like five dudes i'm like like that's what i liked about this season because it's like you almost feel bad when a bunch of kids are beating the shit out of each other but when it's grown-ass men that are like like all right this feels like a legit like 80s action movie these guys are like you know beating the hell out of each other and then we even got uh the other uh uh, whatever third movie villain uh mike barnes who was the the bully that cobra kai bully to fight daniel back then turns out he's cleaned his life up runs a Runs a nice uh, furniture store, <laughs> and they like, nah, man. Silver's gonna call some backup. We we need to go see what find his like old allies. And then the you know, chosen goes in there and like tries to fight him. He's like, dude, dude, no, it's cool. He's not involved in this. Oh, if he's not involved, we should probably call doctor. Why? And he's like, fucking kick the shit out of all of his guys in the loading dock. But the the jacket with the hidden like sigh holsters. I'm like, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> I mean, Chosen has also, like, found the path of honor, but he's still gangster. Like, you remember, like, fucking, Co- uh, whatever, Karate Kid 2. He- he's still, like, an old-school gangster, uh, so he's he- he's still got those tendencies, like, I'll fuck a motherfucker up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I-, I really enjoyed his character, and I-, I don't know. I love I love the fact, too, like, Samantha-son, Amanda-son, like, <laughs> Rachel-son. <laughs> <laughs> Even when Daniel calls his wife, he's in her phone as hubby son <laughs> when she walks out he's like naked in the pool he's like oh, i do i swim laps every morning <laughs> he's like they don't wear he's used to like swimming in the ocean or whatever naked and he's like he's in america tell him put on some fucking pants <laughs> oh but then silver finds out that uh barnes is giving Daniel some uh, help so he burns his fucking furniture store down. I'm like, yeah, like, the stakes of this, like, I expected somebody to die. I mean, it was, it legit felt like, you know, well, I mean, actual you know, danger this season. 
I mean, somebody did. Almost, you know. I mean, Kreese got the old shank down. That, the start of the final episode. And that final episode was like almost a damn fight scene through the entire episode, which was awesome. But yeah, starting off with Kreese, like, you thinking he's like finally had like a change of heart and gets shanked while playing I Did It My Way. At the same time, like, in my head, I was like, no, it's a ruse. And I don't know why, like, I defaulted to, you know, like... Well, if it had been where you saw Silver's kind of like, I'm going to get somebody to take care of him, it would have been believable. But since there was no, like, kind of, oh, this is just a random stabbing in prison, it's not, like, part of the... Like plan, uh, you know. Silver's well, I mean, evil plan. I could see that being, you know, legit in the fact that, all right, obviously, you know, you figured out who the prison boss was, and you know, you took down the prison boss, and now, you know, his ego is hurt, so he's got to retaliate. But, you know, at the same time, I'm like, I, I don't know, just something. I, I, it was a disappointing end to him if that was how they were going to end him. And then you find out later on, it's like, well, maybe Riesel or you know, they'll end up cellmates. He's like, oh, you haven't heard what happened. You figured, but then again, and then it's like, haha, here's the Sons of Anarchy break out of prison story. Which again, if he had just waited, like, fucking, they found out like he was framed. He would, he would have probably gotten out of prison eventually. But now he's got like, all right, you were wrongfully convicted, but you just beat the shit out of a couple cops and broke out of prison. So you got brand new charges you're gonna have to deal with. <laughs> But, I don't, uh, uh, you know, refresh my memory, but from seasons one through four, have we lost any main cast members? Like, this isn't one of those, this isn't a Game of Thrones series where they're like, oh, you love this character? They're dead. <laughs> I mean, there's been, like, I think one character that just didn't return, but they said she moved away. Like, there's not been any, like, actual... I mean, even when Miguel, like, broke his back and you thought he was going to be paralyzed, I mean, he still healed. It's like, yeah, like, there's never been any real, because ultimately it is a show for young adults, you know, it's it's not, like, legit 80s, uh, you know, a fucking John claude Van Damme, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, but at the same time, they gave a good illusion this season of possible danger. I mean, hell, when Chosen fights Silvers, I'm like... Oh fuck! Did he just kill Chosen? <laughs> and even like tells like his goons like, yeah, finish him. I'm like, Mortal Kombat. <laughs> but that fight scene when they're like, you know, uh, homeboy. And I, I thought when they get trapped in the limo that it was like, oh, it's gonna be Silver sent some goons to finally take care of him. And it's like, no, it's Barnes like thinking that they they're the reason he got his shit burned out. He's like, no, no, it was Silver's. Like, well, let's go fuck him up. Enough of this like playing games. Let's, like, go, you know, he won't be expecting all of us. And Johnny's like, I like how this guy thinks. He's like, this is a dumb plan. He goes, yeah, that's why he won't expect it. And, like, Chosen's like, fuck yeah, let's fuck him up. <laughs> and they all go to fight Silver. And I love that. Oh, should have had short eyeliner eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and, I mean, and Chosen, like, fucked him up until he, like, you know, you know, got distracted and heard like Johnny or something called, and, and then dude hit him with the sword, and it was like, oh shit, did he just really just kill freaking Joseph? <laughs> I was like, I mean, shit has gone, uh, <laughs> gone dark. <laughs> but yeah, 
that fight with because of course Barnes gets knocked out like right he's the one that started this whole thing gets like immediately knocked out and it's like Johnny versus you know all these uh, South Korean goons and him you know he holds his own for a long time and then when they're finally like you know all right we're gonna take him downstairs and kill him and he sees the picture of the, the ultrasound of his future kid and he finally he gets that old man dad strength. And just fucks those dudes up. And when even Barnes like shows up and like takes out the last guy, he's like, "I did most of this." He's like, "Fuck yeah, you did." <laughs> I was like, "Fucking!" Yeah. I was like, "That was like probably like the best fight scene of the whole series." Oh yeah, no, that was that was well choreographed. I enjoyed I enjoyed that one very much. Even the uh, the fight at the new Cobra Kai dojo because the kids come up with a plan like, "Hey, let's." Silver's obsessed with like security let's go find something on his you know videos that proves that he's a douchebag and is broadcasted on their youtube channel to show who show them who their sensei really is but the cobra kai's all all show up to fight him and that was a that was like a big the big brawl but back it up for a minute when chosen or te- is teaching the the miyagi do uh uh cobra fang whatever guys and there he's teaching that lesson of like working together he's like you all must protect egg i'm i am the japanese assassin here to kill your eggs and he takes them all out and he's like try again and they're like wait a minute we got to work together and he teaches them like the protect the egg he's like yeah yeah, yeah. Like i said y'all are much stronger together and like i thought that was kind of a <laughs> like i said wasn't a whole lot of stuff with the kids but i thought that particular episode was kind of a cool cool lesson for them all to all to learn and even Robbie and Miguel finally becoming kind of friends and, and helping each other out in that final fight and well I mean you know you you talked about it a little bit before but even you know Samantha and Tori you know them finally you know sort of burying the hatchet and you yeah. know like dude like you know once you know Silvers and, you know, whatever the other chick that's sort of, you know, testing for the next champion, you know, they figure out that, you know, Tori is, Hart isn't necessarily in Cobra Kai, and they're like, you know, here, you must now punch the brick dummy. And, uh, Kim you know, Don Un is, uh, or E-U-N, however, played by Alicia Hana Kim, who was supposed to be the daughter or granddaughter of the founder of the way of the fist that Cobra Kai is based on. <laughs> but yeah, watching her, you know, fuck her hand up, you know, trying to punch through the, uh, the damn stone. I'm like, that shit was fucking intense. Yeah. Like that made my hand hurt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've broke some, some wood, but yeah, that, uh, I'm not, I've not hit bricks yet, but that, not even like bricks. That was like legit, like, fucking stone <laughs> i mean usually people breaking bricks it's like like a cinder block that like compressed uh rock it's not like that was like just a straight up piece of of like rock it's like yeah that did not look fun at all and i like when daniel finally gets to fight silvers like legit and he's using kind of all the the quick silver method like against him he's like you know he's like I've, i know all your tricks you know he, he silvers tries to use the uh the silver bullet punch and Daniel like fucking like traps it and then punches him in the face and fucking like, you know, like finally gets his like, I, I, you know, we got like a little bit of like Daniel Johnny versus crease a couple seasons ago, but this is like the first time it's like, 
Daniel-san getting to fight, you know, get his uh, revenge on Silvers. And hell, even the... Because they've not announced a season six yet. But if we didn't get another season, they did a good job of kind of wrapping everything up and giving it, like, a happy ending. Yeah. But they... then also, we find out Kreese just broke out of prison, and they never made it to that international tournament. So there's enough loose ends to do a season six. But if this is the end, I feel like everybody kind of got a happy end. Dude, Even... as successful as this is, this is not the no. end. Even uh, Stingray. Like, he got to kick the shit out of, like, five, like, Cobra Kai kids. It's like... Oh, even like the fat guy that's just here here because he uh you know uh helped uh Silver's uh steal Cobra Kai. He's like he even got to kick the shit out of some people and be a hero because he finally like turned good and like told Daniel San and all them what what had actually happened. Well, and... I think you know he finally got that courage. Yeah, you know? finally, like, I the, mean the confidence or the whatever uh, conscience <laughs> finally th- got the better of him. Thanks D and D. Like I love as he's telling the story. Like you know I mean. Like, he can't... I can't tell you because he will kill me, but let me show you this D&D campaign I've been writing and kind of told the story of what actually happened to the kids using D&D as a uh, metaphor so he wouldn't actually confess. Now roll 20 for initiative. (laughs) Oh. I mean, even got Johnny's old car. (laughs) But I do like, because we find out that... Silver's big plan is he wants to take Cobra Kai worldwide. So he's convincing this international called the Taki Sakai or something like that uh, tournament uh, to uh, try to convince them to let Cobra Kai join. And Daniel and Johnny get word of that. So they show up and like, here's we've combined our styles into something new. And we think we should also have a shot. And they're like, all right, let's let's, uh, yeah get a tour of both of your things and then we'll have a tournament to decide. And of course, Silver's bribes the, uh, the official again, but they still end up, you know, basically tying. And he's like, y'all have both showed us something special. You're both invited to the tournament, which at that point I thought we we're going to get another, like, like last season. Oh, this whole thing's going to be decided at the all Valley tournament. I'm like, dude, we've done that like three fucking times, but then no, we get that huge action sequence, final episode and never even go to the, the tournament, which, like I said, probably end up being next season. But we get that moment where they're like, all right, you, y'all are invited, but we need one dojo name. Like, I know y'all are combined. Like, what is your... And he's like... And, and Johnny's like, we're Miyagi-Do. And then Daniel's like, but we're also Eagle Fang. And it's like, we're we're both. And he's like, well, you don't have to come up... Y'all need to come up with a name, but you but, ain't got to do mean, it now. Dude, we've... <laughs> I called that since season three. It's Miyagi Fang. I don't, I think that's what we, we titled the last episode of, the, of this. We did that. But I was waiting for that to like, and they're like, he's like, y'all don't have, y'all don't have to decide today, but we are going to need a unified dojo name but for I the like tournament. But I like how, you know, vastly different the two, you know, because you look at Silver's, you know, studio, everything is all modern, state of the art, like analyzing, you know, strikes and, you know, force and everything A lot else. of like fight science going yes. on there. And, you know, then you get... The complete opposite with, you know... Yeah, Miyagi-Do is a very traditional school. They're fighting in, like, a a garden and doing all these very low-tech techniques. And then you see Johnny's Dojo, which is, like, dudes are, like, lifting bricks and punching watermelons and doing, like, you know, 
Rocky type training where it's just like, you know, we're street it, fighting type. It's stuff. almost like instead of, you know, like, all right, so you went to Planet Fitness and you've got, you know, Buffs Gym, you know. <laughs> Buffs don't have the money for all that fancy machinery and everything, but he's going to put you through the paces, you know, like, yeah, here's some fucking, you know, big ass bricks, some heavy ass iron, uh, you know, get to it, you know. But I feel like them, like, they, they, they didn't give us the name, but like you said, we've been calling that for the last couple seasons. It's got to be a uh, Miyagi Fang. <laughs> uh, but... I feel like their styles are very complimentary. Like once that, cause it's like Miyagi Do is very defense oriented. Chosen son. <laughs> Chosen son. Don't you? <laughs> and then we have, uh, you know, Johnny's very offensive minded. It's like together. They're kind of like a complete style. They're, you know, kind of a mixed martial arts. At that point. I mean, that's, that's, you know, they are the balance, whereas, you know, Cobra Kai is very, I mean, much like Johnny's roots and everything else, you know, Cobra Kai is very offensive, you know, based. Um, the way of the fist. <laughs> and the foot. It didn't work so well for him, though. No. Terry Silver's finally did get his ass kicked. And, yeah, and like, I always thought, I mean, Miyagi-Do is Okinawan karate. The Cobra Kai people, like when the the old, you know, students show up, they're Korean. It's like I didn't know Cobra Kai was based on like Korean martial arts. <laughs> like I always thought it was also Japanese uh, martial arts. Because I mean, what hell? What I you know I study is uh, Hapkido, which is a you know Korean martial art. So it's like, huh? Didn't know this was a <coughs> Cobra Kai was Korean. <laughs> That's why those kicks look like Taekwondo. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I will say, so we know Silvers, he's the playboy, got all the money and everything else. Does he really stay locked up? Hmm. You know, or I does mean, he find a way to, you know, buy influence and... Plus, it's like, all right. Well, like he says when they break into his house, he's like, "Hey, y'all are committing a crime by breaking into my house, so any force used against you is justified." He has that very good way of like, you know, basically scamming stuff. But then it once kind of probably charged him with fraud for the bribing of the officials, and then like if the kind of stuff he did to Tory and like kind of the abuse. <laughs> that he for the, that he did the so kids. does that get classified as you know potentially child endangerment at that point like, probably but then again like also like the the furniture store being the, torched yeah if that if they can find out well then also he's got the you know he's the one who kicked the shit out of uh, and framed Reese so like that cop says at the end of it he's like you know with Stingray's confession you know that that guy's lawyer is going to be busy he's got a lot of charges but then again like you said he's a rich guy who can afford expensive lawyers. So he may get off or he may pull a crease and call in some favors, break out of prison and fucking just disappear go back to Japan, hang out with his, uh, Korea and hang out with his, uh, <laughs> his homies, you know, rich, rich people have the uh, option of fleeing, but yeah, I don't know if, 
like, I figure if we get another season, it's going to all be all about that international tournament. But does Kreese show up with a new Cobra Kai faction to take Cobra Kai's place in the tournament? Or is it... Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if your sensei gets arrested or whatever, like... And, and pretty much all his students, like, saw he was a dirtbag and quit. So is there a really huge Miyagi-Do? Or does Kreese show back up and be like, Hey, you former Cobra Kai guys. Like, uh, now you know I was framed. Like, let me come be my students. And do we still get a Cobra Kai Miyagi Fang you know, showdown in wherever this international tournament's at. Which the German guy that was the head of the, uh, the, whatever the, the tournament, uh, recruiting team or whatever, that guy was in the terminal list. <laughs> he was the businessman that, uh, the, 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 they were, that they were trying to like sell the, the drug business to. I was like, I've seen that guy before. <laughs> I didn't even catch on to that. Yeah, he's that he's that businessman that they're trying to uh, do the deal with uh, before Reese, you know, kills everybody. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, I, I don't. It kind of gave a good wrap up to Silvers if we don't see him again, but and kind of goes back to the original of. Crease versus Johnny and Daniel for the next season. But I would not be surprised if he didn't somehow weasel out of this and show back up at some point. And then we get like a kind of a four way fight. It's like Crease's people versus Silver's people versus Johnny and, and Daniel. Yeah, I don't know. You know, because I mean, he tried the same, you know, tactic with, you know, Oh, we've brought in a local, you know, judge to be impartial and, you know, Silvers had already, you know, sort of paid him, you know, off, it seemed, you know, like, oh, that was out of bounds. That doesn't count. It's like, what? Oh, that was, you know, above <laughs> the shoulder. That doesn't count. Like, it's like, all right, you got to make all your hits obvious. So we can't, uh, <laughs> we can't have any questionable techniques. Oh, and I like that, whatever instructor Kim, that. She was, she would have been a good Mortal Kombat villain. Like I could have seen her in some kind of just. She was just like ridiculously evil for no reason. <laughs> like I could see her as well, like I mean, a I could Mortal see, Kombat you villain. Know, or, and I, I don't know. I mean, they never said if they were from the good Korea or the bad Korea. <laughs> like you assume they were from South Korea. I think they did say South Korea at one but, point. <laughs> but oh, oh. The show has been full of like '80s references, if nothing, just the soundtrack. Did you catch the uh, Beverly Hills Cop reference? I'm pretty sure. When they're getting ready to break into Cobra Kai, fucking Robbie's like, "Oh well, if it's the same alarm system that was on the old gym, like I can beat it by doing you know just this and this." And you're like, "You saw like a guy that's done that before." He's like, "Well, karate wasn't my first hobby," <laughs> <laughs> and like. To me, that was like a Beverly Hills Cop reference because Axel was always doing some like shady criminal shit, like you know, unhooking alarm systems. They're like, 
how did you know this? He's like, well, I wasn't always a cop. <laughs> it was like always his explanation of like how he learned to do the things he did. Even if it wasn't intentional, that's awesome. <laughs> oh. So what do you think we're going to get next uh, next season? Because, yeah, it could go either way. I don't me. know. I I honestly don't feel like we are done with Silver's arc. And I hope, in a way, like, I don't know. You know, I mean, both LaRusso and um, Johnny had a chance to sort of bury the hatchet with Crease. You know, that, you know, whole, hey, you give us the details on what Silvers is really doing, I'll put you in contact with my lawyer, and, you know, that, no mercy, motherfucker, you know. Um, <laughs> Just However cool, and... you know, like, like, I don't know, man, like, I'm just like, for somebody that's so much into respect and everything else, like respect has to go both ways. Like you, you yeah. had an opportunity to, you it know, was kind of a dumb move. But then also at the same point, they're already dealing with Silvers. At least with Crease in prison, he's off the chessboard, so they only have to deal with one problem. And if he was out of prison, eventually he would have become another problem. <laughs> it's like let's just deal with one at a time instead of having to deal with both these assholes. But. You know, I think it would have kind of been a cool arc, you know, to see Crease as, ah, fuck it, I'm in here, I'm going to make the most of it, so, you know, I'm the fucking boss of the the block now, like, you know. He's the Ron Perlman. Um, (laughs) Dude, he felt so much like Ron Perlman, like, Uh, but I, you know, I'm almost wondering with the influence that Silver has and everything else if somehow his influence isn't already, you know, at play. Yeah, it's already the, shown that he can, you know, like, buy people. International stuff. Does he you know, because buy, it like, seemed a judge like that or one, get out? Um, judge that was, you know, sort of there to be the translator seemed yeah. like he was already in Silver's pocket. Would not surprise me. I mean, he's already shown he can bribe, you know, officials, like, how easy he's going to be like, oh, you fight, you buy, bribe some corrupt, corrupt judge or something to end up getting off of this, and i got to deal with him again next season. Uh, is there anything we've not covered that you're like, man, that was fucking cool? Like I said, I love the Chosen stuff. Well, here's one thing I hope we don't get next season, is season three, we had that ending with like Johnny and Daniel are finally cool and working together and they immediately broke that up at the start of season four i like i'm I'm done with the daniel johnny drama i want to see them finally working together and it looks like now they've finally well i mean on the same page i i don't know you know i mean i almost expect there to be more of a passing of the torch you know i mean johnny's about to have a fucking newborn like Where's he going to find the time to be sensei and everything else? Like, (laughs) you know, like, I mean. And Miguel and Robbie have kind of buried their hatchet. And Sam have kind of stepped up and, like, maybe they start, you know, becoming instructors themselves, you know, like, you know, learning to to teach and whatnot. 
yeah, it's like, I just really hope we don't get another, like, oh, it's Johnny and Daniel's having drama again. Like, no, I like how they kind of wrap that up and they all look to be good friends by the end of it. You know, if if there's going to be some threat, let it be an external threat that they have to deal with, not more continued infighting amongst the group. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't know, you know, I mean, I think even with the... Because, I mean, I, I don't know, for me, the the manipulation of, I don't know, this is going to be a horrible reference, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I kept thinking back to American History X and how, you know, manipulated Danny was and everything else in the film, and I saw Silver's very much doing that same thing to, you know, the young kid that's like, oh, you don't need to be a follower. You need to be a leader. You need to... Yeah, Kenny. Kenny Kenny. started off as the bullied kid and got into Cobra Kai and then became the bully himself and, you know, you know, know, went head-to-head with Robbie. When When Robbie finally started seeing what Cobra Kai was doing to him, he finally realized, like, oh, I'm the asshole by being part of Cobra Kai. I need to get out of this and, you know, Kenny wasn't ready to listen to him at the time. And then by the end of it, it looked kind of like he's more, he's like, he's like, dude, let's not, I don't want to talk about this right now. Let's handle this later. But you seemed more open to finally, you know, discussing things with Robbie. But yeah, I mean, hell, he could go back to being an asshole. <laughs> Who knows? Like I said, people have switched sides so many times in the story. It's hard to, hard to yeah, keep and up. That, that's the other thing too, is, you know, you see Cobra Kai buying up all these other, you know, smaller dojos and everything. Like, I almost think that this core group, you know, that between, you know, Miyagi Fang and, you know, the immediate, you know, Valley, you know, uh, Cobra Kai, like those eight or ten people I uh, would see venturing to Miyagi Fang. But what about all of these other dojos? Yeah, just because, like, uh, you know, Silver's is gone. Hell, like, Kreese could... They'd be like, all right, you know, you were in jail f- wrongly accused, so even though you did some illegal shit to get out of jail, we're just going to head give you time served and let you go. But does he show back up like, I'm still the owner of Cobra Kai, and <laughs> and we've got this entrance to this tournament, so you know, I'm going to jump right back into my uh, Cobra Kai role. One thing we did not talk about, and we'll wrap this up here in a second, Johnny's day job when he tried to become an Uber driver was fucking hilarious. <laughs> you know, actually they all close their dojos because of the bet. You know, they, uh, yeah, Johnny tries to get a day, day job since he's got a kid on the way and just becomes the worst Uber and Uber Eats <laughs> delivery guy. I don't know. I just love their take on... Do what? you have any Billy Idish? Billy Idol? Hell Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, that that was really pretty awesome. Like, just like, dude, like, technology is not your forte. Like, you don't need to be on apps, like, trying to navigate and shit. No. Like, or does he start his own escape room? <laughs> <laughs> He's got the construction skills. He did a pretty good job of setting For up that any fake, of these uh, places that are current escape rooms. If they don't have a fucking Cobra Kai themed <laughs> escape room. They've missed a major marketing opportunity, especially 
if you're I mean, in and around Atlanta. I kind of want to play the uh, Young Guns escape room now. <laughs> See if anybody has a Western themed. So what do you think of this uh, MX or MX BX3 here? I I want some whiskey to go with it. I mean, it's it's this may be a new uh, going into the rotation. If I somebody am. offered me a CEO Brazilian, I'd be like, thanks, but no thanks. If somebody offered me this again, I'd be like, hell yeah. I was, I, you know, every perception I've had or, you know, Brazilian cigar I've smoked up to this point has been a meh experience. This has made me think maybe there's something more to this that I need to explore in my smoking endeavors. Like, this is one of those awesome cigars that. I didn't know anything about prior to smoking it. Yeah, it's just something and, new in the humidor. I'm like, hey, we haven't tried this one yet. Let's. And yeah, you know, like a lot of the stuff we end up smoking blind on the show. If something new comes out, I'm like, no, I'm not going to have this. I'm going to save this to smoke, so I get like a blind review when we, you know, or a whatever a unbiased reaction when we smoke these. But yeah, this one may make it into the the regular rotation. I I'm. I mean, I w- I would say if you're a fan of MX2, and. Like this, this, this has the best of both worlds. Yeah, it doesn't you know, have a ton of strength, sweet earthiness but a shitload of, of flavor. But you know, all of the familiarities and everything of Nicaraguan and Honduran cigars that I enjoy, and even a little Mexican to go with our you know, trip to Mexico uh, <laughs> in the episode. <laughs> but you know, I, I I gotta say, like, I was not that excited to smoke this cigar today because i'm like i don't care for the ceo brazilian and those two cigars couldn't be more different and that makes me want to think that dude there's probably a lot of other brazilian cigars out there it might be a little more flavorful or yeah i think it's that but, mix. I mean, th- it's not just straight whatever just that one like brazilian matafina but that those other brazilian tobaccos in the, the blend it's a ton of flavor. Uh, this is this is I one of those cigars that if we're at Dragon Con and I know I'm going to be smoking five cigars a day, in between my powerhouses, I'm smoking one of these. Yes, you could smoke a couple of these and not like burn yourself out and still be like, mm, this is strong enough that it's not going to overpower my whiskey. Because, yeah, not Dragon Con without a flask. <laughs> oh, See how it pairs with apple pie. <laughs> But that's all we got for you this week, and we'll be right back.
Dad. What's the Soul Forge podcast? The Soul Forge podcast is all about life, the universe, and everything. Is it good for kids? Oh no, it's not good for kids. Is it geeky? Oh, it can be geeky, but it can also be serious. We talk about life, sex, dating, and mental health, and so much more. Where can you find the Soul Forge podcast? You can find it everywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, and the ESO Network. And now it's time for Blowing Smoke. And welcome back. We are here with another interview with uh, Instructor Roy Wilkinson of... I will horribly mispronounce the name of your school, sir. <laughs> Tell the people who you're with and what you do. Uh, yeah, so this, the school is called Atlanta Bujinkan, Atlanta Bujinkan Dojo. That was my guess. I, I might have actually pronounced that correctly. <laughs> we can go back and say it again. We'll edit that out. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, so how long have you been coming here to DragonCon? To DragonCon? That's a great question. Um, I've been coming to DragonCon since before there was a DragonCon. Uh, there used to be an event called Atlanta Fantasy Fair, which is long gone. And uh, we would come, you know, friends and I, and enjoy our various flavors of uh, geekdom and nerddom and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, DragonCon was uh, put together. Several people went together and invested to create DragonCon, a lot of which came from my gaming group. Wow. And uh, I wish at the time that I had had the extra several thousand dollars to invest. <laughs> I would be part of the ownership now. But it's, that's why DragonCon is a bit bittersweet for me because that always reminds me, you know, what would have been, could have been type of thing. Well, uh, how long have you been doing the, the demonstrations here as, a, uh, as uh, trying to teach people about uh, the real uh, ninjas in the world? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so in the 90s, um, I was a guest for a number of years and brought in demonstrations uh, in those days. And uh, that was great, a lot of fun. And there were some panels uh, like, let's get four guys from different martial arts and we'll discuss and compare, compare and contrast. contrast. Exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, the first one of those was kind of a surprise. I didn't know they were putting me on a panel like that. And I thought, you know, this could turn into a. Uh, Measuring contest here. Let's so, go ahead and set up a ring. We'll do exactly. some sparring. Yeah. So I sought out those guys ahead of time and said, hey, we're on this panel together, and kind of guided the conversation into more of a productive, hey, let's work together on this, and it worked out fine. Um, uh, fast forwarding, there were some leadership changes within DragonCon, which is probably an, another story for another day. Um, but... Uh, in this current round, this is the second year back at DragonCon and uh, doing – well, there was one year where we just provided some video because there was no live DragonCon. Um, the, the virtual – the dark times, the virtual that's year. Right, that's right. <laughs> In the dark times, yeah. Um, but uh, we have, we're doing a couple different presentations. One is like physical demonstration, uh, which you guys got to see last year. And, and the, the other is a bit of physical demonstration and a bit of myth versus reality. You're kind of talking about some of the stereotypes that people have in mind. If you've not seen real ninja demonstrations, the thing that impressed me the most is because is I've been to a few demonstrations. It's like when you roll or fall, there's always a noise. And it was like 
I felt like I'd gone death for a second because y'all were doing some great flips and rolls, and there was like no sound when they hit the mat. <laughs> it's like it's like these guys know what they're doing. It's like you, know, or even like a lot of times people you know make you know, loud yells and stuff just to, for the crowd work. But since y'all are ninjas, it's like no, we got to be silent when we're doing this. And it's like all right, that's that's kind of cool. I haven't seen that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'm so close to it that I don't really appreciate that as much. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of times you see people hit the ground and it's like a crash, a really <laughs> huge noise. Um, but uh, moving quietly is one of the things that the art teaches. You know, we, we practice on that, um, to move quietly. And um, uh, it's ironic to start a conversation about stereotypes with that topic. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, that is absolutely part of the art. Uh, it's, you know, one slice of many. And um, being able to hit the ground safely and come back up again ready to defend yourself and be aware of the world around you is a real fundamental building block. I'm just even, not even in fighting, but you can trip over a curb walking down the street. And that's, out of all the martial arts, that one probably has the most, like, real world like you're probably going to use this more than you use your kicking and your punching he's like know how to properly fall because we all we all do it uh i've seen several people do it this you know, but usually it's bucket of rum caused <laughs> <laughs> what people drinking that never happens so um uh, yeah. what is like what is the actual style of ninja because I mean, ninja is used as a generic term what is like the actual kind of style of martial arts you're that you um, y'all are teaching uh, Does well, it have an official name or? Uh... Well, the art would be called ninjutsu, so N-I-N-J-U-T-S-U ninjutsu. Um, sometimes you'll see it spelled with an I, ninjutsu, J-I-T-S-U. That's generally a flag that whoever's uh, purporting that is fraudulent. Um, the Japanese language changing from Japanese to English characters. Sometimes the U and the I are a little flipped they'll get flipped back and forth sometimes just in the transliteration is that the right word sounds Whatever. right translation <laughs> uh, into uh romanji um the japanese written with roman letters um but typically the the people who are less informed would use n-i-n-j-i-t ninjitsu which is incorrect Ninjutsu is actually correct. That's the art. Uh, it's also sometimes called Budo Taijutsu. Uh, the the current grandmaster uses that um, quite often. Budo, uh, the martial way, and then Taijutsu is body skill. Right. So it's a broader term, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, most of us, like I said, especially people of our generation, our first uh, encounter with ninja was probably the American Ninja movies from the early 80s. And it's proliferated uh, you know, pop culture. What is some of your biggest, like, this uh, myth versus uh, reality of of the way of the ninja? <laughs> wow. Um I mean, you came in here and shook our hands. You didn't appear in a puff of smoke. I mean, so already we know there's like differences. That was before he introduced himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. So there are a lot of stereotypes, a lot of myths out there. Absolutely, and uh, they are um, kind of perpetuated in movies and comics, anime, 
you name it. There's a lot of ways that the myths get uh, out there. And, um, uh, gosh, where to even start on that? Um, sometimes the myths are based in reality. They have a, a seed or germ mm -hmm. of truth that may have gotten misunderstood or interpreted in a different way, and then the story was told. Um, for example, um, let's say let's say that we're we're fighting, and I uh, reflect the sun into your eyes, or throw some <laughs> dirt in your face, or whatever the case might be. And while you're dealing with that, dive over behind some bushes or a log or something. And then when that's cleared, oh, well, he's gone. <laughs> what happened? He disappeared. Wow. Uh, well, that's how. The, that's how rumors get started, you know, as the song says. Which is effective use of cover and concealment, but it's like, it must have been magic. <laughs> yeah, but if, if you think about it, he's going to have to go back to all his friends and say, well, how did this guy get away from you? How did this guy beat you? Oh, well, you know, like, there was ten of them. Or uh, <laughs> there, there uh, he did some magic and he did this yeah. thing with his hands and the next thing you know, he flew away. Um to save face. Uh, doesn't want to get uh, executed for doing something. No, he didn't get me by surprise. He just disappeared. I don't know what mm -hmm. happened. And uh, sometimes, you know, the, the ninja may even have contributed to those rumors on their own because they were oftentimes outnumbered, uh, out-weaponed, out because in the olden days, uh, the Japanese government allowed samurai to carry swords, but other people were not allowed to carry swords. You basically were denied the tools to defend yourself, uh, but these only certain class of people could. And they had license to, oh, you insulted me, ha, I'm going to cut your head off. And they were, were free to do that. But that, And that's the kind of person that these people were having to defend themselves from. They, the art generated from self-defense. How can I protect myself and my family? I'm being hunted. The Japanese government because technically it was illegal to defend yourself. So a lot of this, you know, developed from like, you know, we're still going to defend ourselves. We're just not going to tell you about it. That's why we're going to wear masks. And mm -hmm. <laughs> so you plausible deniability when the uh, authorities come around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I they, got my ass kicked by a guy in a black <laughs> outfit. <laughs> it's like, that wasn't me. <laughs> Speaking of uh, myths, that's a great one. Uh, the typical ninja outfit. It's all in black. And they have a mask on. You only see their eyes. That's so stereotypical. That's what you see in the movies. The heroes walking along, and all of a sudden, these guys pop out of the shadows. And they, you know, there's a thousand of them, and he defeats them all, and he break, doesn't break a sweat, you know. Uh, but that uh, aspect of the the image comes from Japanese theater. So live theater, uh, kabuki and no theater, they have uh, basically prop men or stagehands on stage during the production. They wear all black like that and they're all covered except for their eyes. They'll do things like move props around or... And you see that in modern theaters as well. The <laughs> so they don't take... Yeah, the audience doesn't see the stagehand moving the... <laughs> moving the so yeah, mm -hmm. It makes a lot of sense that that just kind of came out of the... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And when the Japanese theater or movies needed to include someone who was invisible, that's how they depicted them because that's what people are used to in Japan. Oh, that person's invisible. And it sort of gave this mystique to them. And now even today, 
people's that's what ninjas look like <laughs> they're dressed in black which if you're going to do something that's technically illegal you don't really want to be wearing a uniform that reveals your <laughs> it's a that guy's wearing all black and has a ski mask he may be up to something it's like you, you should blend into uh, the environment <laughs> well your mistake there is you said ski mask versus you know like proper you know ninja headdress oh but if, yeah if I mean, Everyone's ski wearing mask, a you just signify thug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or skier. I mean, we didn't say where we were at in the world. We could have been in, like, you know, uh, uh, Colorado, the mountains or whatever. <laughs> then it, right. It's like, what is suspicious depends on your environment. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So if you're going to blend in in some environment, what do you need to look like to blend in there? If you're going to be at the beach... You're not going to wear a three-piece suit. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to be at a corporate boardroom, you're not going to wear, you know, sandals and shorts. If you're going to be at, on a ski slope, maybe a ski mask and, you know. So I'm, I'm looking around the room right now. We all have Dragon Con badges. Does that mean we're all ninjas? <laughs> well, you are wearing we're, black, so maybe. We're, we're, we certainly uh, blend in with this, you know, we came to match the table. That's why. <laughs> and uh, if you are thinking about camouflage, uh, wearing all black, say in a natural setting in the woods, that's going to stand out. Or even at night, black. It's never fully black, like a like a gray or a, even a blue. Like actually, better concealment. So in I've it. actually it, read black, studies that said more of a a dark red is better concealment <laughs> than what wearing black at night is. And that sounds odd, but once the light starts to dim, it becomes, like, say, from daytime to dusk, your eyes lose the ability to pick up color. So what's red doesn't seem red anymore. It's, it's, it's more shades of gray. So that, that's actually true. You, you, wouldn't, you would think red, that's going to stand out in the woods. Well, no. At, at certain yeah, times, it, it won't. Yeah. It, it's all about the, the correct time. Well, you know, we talked about the, the mistakes Hollywood is going to – have you seen anything that they got it at least partially right? Like, is there, okay, I, I kind of asked, you know, doctor, cause I, like, or is it like, like I'm from a law enforcement background. I hate watching police shows because I'm like, there was no way we would do that. Is that the way it is for, uh, for uh, you know, actual ninjas? Like, I can't watch this, this stupid thing. <laughs> uh, there is definitely an aspect of that. You watch this TV show or movie or whatever, and you just go, oh, my God. Uh, so it's hard to watch sometimes. You're exactly right. Um, but if you could set that aside and just go, okay, let me, let me enjoy this for what it is. Yes, they're not going to get the, the DNA results and the fingerprints and everything back in half an hour, but okay, it, it's for the story. Um, in terms of the, the question you asked, I think, well, a couple of things. One, uh, when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out, um, of course, they're not realistic, um, but they were positive, and they were something that reflected positively on something or our art that's been reflected negatively on for quite some time. So I enjoyed that part of it. And who doesn't like pizza? Right? Yeah, because a lot of stuff, ninjas have always been the, the henchmen or the bad guys in, in most like popular. Yeah, there's like kind of some of the first like positive uh, <laughs> ninjas. So despite their unrealistic, uh, they, they, yeah, they at least. Uh, kind of popular that and like just martial arts in general i think it was like ninja turtles and like the power rangers when they came out ever what about three ninjas 
three ninjas. That's a. If <laughs> <laughs> oh. it was a movie that came out in the in the eighties um, called Enter the Ninja, and um, this was during the big boom here in the U.S. And the gentleman who brought the art back to the states was a consultant on the movie for a while. And so there's some things in that movie that were, I think, decently represented. Um, but uh, over time, there was a difference of opinion between him as the realistic representative of the art and the direction of the movie. They kind of diverted in their thinking, <laughs> and he left the project. Um, so the movie didn't turn out to be all that realistic. You've got a guy dressed all in black and a guy dressed all in white. Because if you wear a white hat, you're the good guy. If you wear the black hat, you're the bad guy. Um, and a bunch of guys in red, as I recall, like the the minions were all in red, running around the woods. You show your rank based on your color. <laughs> Maybe so. Uh, but so you guys are under red division. You guys are yellow division. <laughs> a lot of unrealistic stuff in there. But there were some pieces that I thought were were well done. Um, so how did you get into the into this art? Like you've you've obviously been doing it for. For a while, you know, what's your what's your secret ninja origin story? <laughs> uh, well, um, in those days, uh, there wasn't there wasn't the internet. <laughs> there wasn't as much material out there. Hardly anything available um, at the time. I think there was one book that mentioned something about the ninja. Um, I had seen them depicted in comics actually initially as as a kid. Oh. Wow! And these guys—they did this, they did that. They could climb and jump and all the things, and it was just really, really cool. And um, I didn't think it was real, though. I thought it was just fiction. Oh. Nobody can do all of that stuff. It's just you know comics. And uh, as it happened, I was uh, working at the time in a restaurant. A guy came in to the that day. He was wearing a shirt that said Ninja Combat System on it, and I was like. Do you uh, is that real? Oh yeah, are you studying it? Well, I teach it all on the, on the other side of town. What really? Well, I, and, you know, I, I have to imagine my eyes were like this big around. And uh, I got his card, and uh, next thing you know, I was training. But I mean, if if I hadn't known that, had, if I hadn't heard about them in the first place, I wouldn't have known to recognize them on his, on his shirt. If he had worn a different shirt that day. If he had gone somewhere else for lunch or dinner or whatever it was, um, if I had been on break when he walked in. I mean, so many things had to line up just right for me to make the connection. And that was the only school there was in the whole U.S., in the whole Western Hemisphere, as a matter of fact. How lucky am I to have all that happen and also that it was in my hometown? Yeah, that's crazy. Just, wow. When you think about it, my whole life would be different today. Uh, if if all those things had lined up just right, yeah. Because we were talking before the mice came on that pretty much every town has like you know taekwondo, jujitsu, or karate dojo. It's like the most I guess I would say uh, mass produced uh, schools where yeah, like I didn't like when I was growing up, I never knew there was a place where you could go and study actual ninjutsu without you know going to sh Japan and knowing a guy. <laughs> And yeah, you know, like the, the school you uh, uh, you're with is like the original. I remember even back when I was a kid, like if you even went to try to find a book on jiu-jitsu, there was like maybe three authors that was was writing stuff, and you're like didn't know whether or not they were <laughs> legit. Mm -hmm. But it's like every ninja something in the book is like you recognize the names because it was like very little 
real information out there versus like the ton of you know the media uh and pop culture references i mean i remember even i forgot who it was had like a learn ninjutsu by video like course (laughs) in the back of like every magazine back then (laughs) yeah especially it even happens happens still today but uh especially during the the big boom days people would just throw on a black suit and claim all kinds of things and um it's unfortunate because people outside the art don't really know he says he's this you know high muck any muck whatever okay uh and then even and today you've got a legacy of that so let's say you ordered the mail order video course from the back of the magazine uh and you spent however much money on it six weeks later you're a black belt and open your own school and now you're giving out rank to other people and then here we are you know x number of years later those people are giving out equally equally illegitimate rank to other people that is based on nothing uh so you have this generational legacy of fraud and it's really kind of sad um but people will it's just it's natural they want to be cool they want to do something really nice and uh you see that in a lot of arts and schools they you know kind of refer to the mcdojo model where it's like you pay a certain amount of money and you're gonna get a black belt whether you earn one or not mm-hmm. uh, so yeah it's nice to see like actual real training uh as we're kind of wrapping up here where can if people are here in the atlanta area where can they find you where can they train with you where the, can they follow you on social media and all those things uh well <clears throat> uh i guess it's stereotypical of us we're not we don't have a huge commercial presence uh, we have a website it's atlanta uh, Atlanta, like the city, B-U-J-I-N-K-A-N.org, AtlantaBujikan.org. So you can reach us there, find us there. Uh, we have a uh, presence on Facebook, um, and and that's about it, I think. We don't really advertise a lot. Uh, the, the school is private. Uh, it's not a commercial school. Maybe right. that's a better way to say it. It's not a commercial school with you know neon signs and glass windows and hey, a marketing budget if you want to train here you need to find find us <laughs> right and we do ask people to fill out a little questionnaire ahead of time just so we know who's walking in um over the years we've seen some very interesting folks uh come in partially because of the stereotypes that are out there oh hey i want to do that i want to shoot flame from my hands or i want to be batman (laughs) i'm batman yeah (laughs) um and and honestly you know the coolness of the art is one of the things that drew me to it and uh so i don't blame people it's it's a very cool martial arts very versatile uh it covers so many bases striking grappling um joint locks and throws and holes punching kicking elbows knees whatever um, the ground hitting techniques we talked about earlier, ukemi we call it. Um, so there's also jumping and climbing and stuff like that. A variety of weapons, different tools, um, which we didn't talk about much at all. Uh, there's also non-physical aspects of the art. There are like meditation, awareness, philosophy, that sort of stuff. That those are all part of the art. It's very very versatile. Um, 
we are to back to your question. I know you're trying to wrap up. Sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> back to your question. People can reach us through web, the website. That's the best place. Uh, we currently take adult students, 18 and up. Uh, we will also entertain 16 or older uh, with parental permission uh, for mature students. I mean, doing you know all that and weapons and everything. Maybe need you know level. Doing five year olds run around with ninja swords. Cricket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Quick question. Sure. We did. We like I said we got so caught up in everything else. We didn't mention the weapons. Ninja weapons, like real versus not real. Like, w- w- what's some things you've seen that you're like, yeah, that we we've never done that. And has it evolved the years? I mean, do, is there modern ninja weapons? Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm glad you asked that question. So the art itself is a living art grows and changes over time <clears throat> it's not a static thing of these are our 50 techniques that we have studied and worshipped for the last hundred years uh, you cannot change them or whatever <laughs> I mean there's definitely uh, a legacy of good techniques and good foundational movements and that sort of thing but the art itself is living and growing and it uh, changes with the times and also with the culture that it's in so um, when the when the Dutch came to Japan in the 17th century, they brought gunpowder. That was a new technology to Japan. Well, it's only natural for the ninja to adopt that into their arsenal. So you've got old school uh, cannons made out of wood that's been you know strapped around the outside to help them hold their structure, and you've got firearms and lighting fires and using that for distractions and things like that. So one day. When lightsabers actually exist, I'm sure we'll pick those up too, uh, or blasters, or you know, whatever. Yeah. As the technology develops, um, so will the art. It, it, that, it's that kind of art. It's a living thing that grows and and with the times or with the needs. Um, That's great. I, I mean, thank you for being here. This has been an enlightening. I wish we could uh, talk forever, but we have <laughs> another interview scheduled. But thank you for your time. If you come to dragon con definitely uh check out their seminars and their demos because it was it was extremely fun to watch uh and thank you for being here sir absolutely thank you and welcome back today we're still at dragon con and talking to captain mark uh is it Madonna? Mc- Madonna. 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 i'm horrible with names so it's like <laughs> i was like what's that pronunciation <laughs> so uh you run the national secure uh, Security decision-making game here at DragonCon, and Mm -hmm. been doing that since the... 1990 was our first. Uh, My brother, uh, Dan, was at the Naval War College, uh, lieutenant commander at the time, in the War Game Department, and he was asked to come in at the time to bring in uh, some type of a simulation professional war game, the way we would do it at uh, government facilities. At that point, I was in a reserve detachment, uh, Navy Warfare Development, no, I'm sorry, Summer Development Squadron 12 in Groton. So I came in to help him at the same time. I was at that time a lieutenant uh, in the reserves, having done 10 years in submarines. Um, and uh, so he brought over, he developed National Security Decision-Making Game as a simulation to try to show civilians what professional wargaming is about because if you're an american civilian you're paying your taxes and you're paying millions of dollars for the naval war college the the other forces war college the national defense university to put on war games and there's some reason for it it's to explore issues and put on a some type of a professional game that simulates reality as closely as we can trading off playability and enjoyability for some detail so we can try to identify issues and get some factual uh, uh, facts out of the game to uh, add to our knowledge and wisdom base 
Uh, so people uh, hear more <clears throat> games, they think more of the the tactical simulations, not so much the decision making aspect yeah. of that, which uh, um, I find that interesting. Yeah, the ge- geostrategic uh, ability. So uh, at that point, we put together a game. Uh, in 1990, the Soviet Union was still around, uh, although it, it was in decline. It was no longer real, considered real superpower, you know, left, east versus west competition. Uh, but uh, So the two major player cells in the game he put together with the U.S. and the Soviet Union with a, a set of green cells, facilitator players in the middle to try to make issues throughout the world for people to, to pop up with. And year after year, we added new player cells, and we evolved the game from um, using a board uh, as a background. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a board game specifically, but the the board allowed us to decide what we wanted to construct as far as military uh, you know, military units and where to position them. But we evolved away from that to a much more freeform game, which uh, at this point resembles more of a, a LARP or a live-action role-playing game where people we put people into decision-making positions in a simulation of a foreign, a real foreign government, America, uh, uh, China, Russia, United Kingdom, Japan, etc. And each cell is a simulation of their decision-making structure, their politics, uh, and their military decision-making and their uh, crisis management. Uh, and uh, including the political factions. You're generally, the we tell the player who's the chief of naval operations for the U.S., your real adversary is the Air Force <laughs> because you're competing with them for U.S. policy and U.S. funding. Uh, and of course, so, yeah. even, you know, law enforcement background, it's, it's not the criminals we have to deal with, it's the <clears throat> admin that's like, no, you can't do that, it costs too much, or <laughs> we don't have the training for that. Or <laughs> yes, if, if money weren't an issue, we wouldn't have a problem with anything, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so at this point, we have an ability to, uh, uh, we have, th- uh, f- at this point, f- four major variants. Our, our primary uh, core uh, 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 brand is their contemporary game. We say it's the war. It's the world as you know it. Maybe a finite number of exceptions, but very small. We try to say it's the world as you know it, and you're in this country, and you're in this position, and this is your motivation. This is who you are. This is what you believe in, and this is how you want to try to move your nation. And when we put together two, three, or four cells, then we coordinate uh, the external uh, external uh, world so that they all feel like they're working in the same world uh, and pass messages back and forth and adjudicate uh, 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 things between them. Additionally, we might throw a crisis at them, uh, environmental problems, pandemics, uh, earthquakes, volcanoes. In uh, uh, venues like this, we'll sometimes come up with uh, science fiction conventions uh, with a science, some science, science fiction variant. It's not really our brand, but we play to the crowd. That's what they want. So we, we usually put in a couple of science fiction games in each time. So, so we have about 27 contemporary uh, nations we, we can uh, simulate. We have a 1960s version. We have six countries we can play in 1960. We like that. The, it's not as popular with our players, but we try to throw in at least one yeah, in every convention. Yes. <clears throat> the advantage is it doesn't change. Kind of a golden area of, uh, of media, too. I mean, there's so many yeah. great like movie, you know, it, yeah. movies. were easy back when Russia was the enemy. <laughs> now it's like, you know, don't know who, our, who, who the enemy is day to day. When you took this from the kind of the original simulation for the military to the civilian recreational market like was there how did the game like change for y'all to make it or is it the yeah well, very for, much uh, the the same first we had to make it a lot shorter um the the type of game we'd play at the naval war college would last a week 
uh, and you know the players would come in from all over. To me, the advantage of a professional war game is you take people away from their ringing telephone or the problems day to day, and put them in a different situation. Like this is a, this week. We, this we is thought, your job. Yeah, so. we thought we, we were thinking about this crisis. You know, when we started, of course, the Soviet Union, the World War III was a potential, uh, and the um, uh, and uh, so we said, okay, we when people these people necessarily were back in uh, ship squadrons and air, air wings and whatever, and the, the phone's always ringing with the problem of the day, and they're not really thinking about what's going to happen if we start phase zero of the crisis. Uh, and uh, so we take them away from that, put them in a simulation where they actually are, and they start actually discussing the problems, and, and events surface uh, to the top of that. For example, the night, uh, late, 1990, late 1980s, um, the it started to surface that okay when we're starting to thinking of flowing tens of thousands flying tens of thousands of troops to Europe to match up prepositioned equipment before the Soviets attack, the expectation is that yes we'll activate all our air 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 force reserve transport squadrons and flying C-130s and C-141s and flying tens of thousands of troops, but we're also going to be activating the the craft civilian you know, reserve air force which is, allows us to start to, to conscript. Um, uh, you know, commercial airliners uh, and say, okay, and you're going to help flying too. Somebody started to say a lot of those pilots that were, count, that were call, considering using to fly the civilian airlines were also calling up on the reserves. So we're asking them to be in two cockpits at once. Do we need to look at that? <laughs> Are there enough pilots to fly yeah, like the, all the planes we need? You know, think of the uh, the <clears throat> war fighting and don't think about the logistics of the, <laughs> of the war fighting. Exactly. But that, that's just an example of the kind of issues that surface when you get somebody away from his environment and get a bunch of people in different fields talking to each other and starting to say, we'll plan on doing this. Somebody says, there's a limitation here. We thought about that. And what, what there's a, a statement that war games don't prove anything. Uh, anybody who says, well, we ran this war game at the uh, at Newport at the Naval War College, we proved the following. That's not really true. What do you, there's a garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, format to that, uh, uh, and when you, uh, how well is your scenario, scenario designed? Uh, and it's not necessarily a conclusion you can draw, but you can say there's an issue here, and we need to come up with a series of issues, and then we can actually turn it off to analysis and think tanks and actual simulations to try to say, can we solve this? What are the realities to it? And what policies do we need? What equipment do we need to procure? What procedures do we have to make? Uh, so it, that's that's a form of war. Uh, that's that's the real outcome, I think, of a professional war game. When we brought it here, we wanted to make it an entertaining experience. We wanted to show some people what professional war gaming is about. And we liked to, I, to think that they walk away uh, if they were in a Japanese cell with a better perspective of the Japanese approach to things and the Japanese perspective on world affairs. They don't have a, there's no Japanese Air Force, there's a Japanese Air Self-Defense Force, there's a Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force. And what the what that means in terms of the, the psychology of the officers that are going to be running that. I, I was warned when I was in active duty in staff planning that if you're going to put a Japanese warship in your formation, uh, thinking it's going to conduct air defense, they're an ally. That's going to get air to defense in this sector. In this sector of your formation, realize that their rules of engagement are going to be very different from yours. Uh, so they might not be able to shoot at the target that an American warship would be able to shoot at. Uh, so those those are the kind of things. Uh, for just just Japan as an example. How hard is it when you're say you're like all right, you are a Japanese sail. Here is your kind of information packet of how the Japanese would normally make decisions. How hard is it to get your 
players to like stick to the the script and not make like a, a wild uh, decision, or do y'all just roll with that? And... Uh, no, it it is it is a problem. It depends on the the nature of the player. Uh, we give everybody a a motivation. This is who you are. This is generally what you believe. We try to give them some introduction, but we're also trying to run this. We started running this. There was an eight hour game. Uh, we uh, the the kind of pressures of the convention. We uh, we started to try to cut it down to a four hour game, and almost all our games today are four hours, if not two. Uh, we had to cut down a lot of the in-briefings, which includes cutting out a lot of the background material. Uh, but we're, we're counting on a core of um, avid role players who will try to take that on and, and try to bring other people along who might not be. Uh, and we go through exercises, like you put a Japanese cell together and, and put rocks out on the floor and have them contemplate the rocks. Uh, well, Chinese, <laughs> Get them in the Chinese, of, uh... Chinese cell, we have some um, uh, rally, rally songs, have them sing at that first. But try, to, try to get them into the role. Uh, and, but but it, that is always, in fact, a challenge, try to get them into that. Our new variant we've introduced this year is um, uh, the American Revolution Crisis. We start the play out in 1774 as American representatives of the American 13 colonies, essentially the first Continental Congress, uh, and getting them into that into that type of role is, is very tough because they they see themselves in a Congress and they think they could pass legislation. Well, the first Continental Congress is more of a UN Security Council because these the 13 colonies feel they're they're essentially independent. Uh, the only yeah, we, we may or may not. Yeah, uh, the only net United Authority we'll they, they reported to was, was London. <laughs> Uh, so, so they they and they had no authority to pass any legislation. But instead, they're trying to they're thinking they're going to create a national currency and national <laughs> banks and transportation systems and start and and uh, and start a continental army. Yeah, well, remember you got to go. You're going to go back to your state legislature, colonial legislature. And they say, you did what? <laughs> so get so trying to just trying to get that through. But. Um, we think it's a success if someone comes out of the game after four hours knowing a lot of things and with a perspective that they didn't have going in. Yes, that, that's what it's all about, uh, and ultimately. We hope that this um, revolutionary war game is going to catch on. We, we have a co- some professors that have expressed some interest in trying to bring it in, it's, uh, at least on a, uh, a, f- a freshman-like level and possibly also advanced placement high school. We've, we've taught it. We've put on our simulation at universities and... Not in a again. We've given it to high school classes, uh, not at a high school, but at, in university brings in the brought in high school students and uh, as a, uh, a promotional event for them. And we ran a Cold War game on them. That was rather eye opening. I'm always interested in showing, you know, teenagers or twenty somethings who've read about the Cold War, uh, the polar map. Uh, I do usually the military control and uh, military newsfeed inject in most of the games. Um, and uh, showing them the polar map and how close the U.S. and the Soviets actually were to each other in the 1960s game, especially with orbiting bombers uploaded with yeah, nuclear weapons ready to hit each other. Lived through that or you know, the <clears throat> exactly. tail end of that. It's exactly. Like, and I, even I, the I, I have I, I have one slide in one of the lectures I give that shows where I was during the Cuban Missile Crisis and what would have happened to me <laughs> if a four <laughs> megaton bomb hit Midtown Manhattan. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, kind of back it up but we've talked a lot of the it, you said you're a, from a, a navy sub uh, background how did you go from working a sub to developing like role-playing games like well this, uh, um i i was always into war games before i joined before i joined the navy my brother and i were using 
many naval miniatures, Fletcher Pratt rules. We, our, our father had such a great experience in the U.S. Army during World War II that we both joined the Navy. Uh, so, so we're using naval miniatures, Fletcher Pratt rules, sea power rules, you know, miniatures on uh, as teenagers. Uh, and uh, so it, it made sense for him to, he's three years older than me, it made sense for him to go our uh, ROTC and so Navy ROTC and so did I. Now he was, he went to the Citadel, I went to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and majored in physics, so it was natural for me to go nuclear submarines. He went to the Citadel, the military college in Charleston, South Carolina, and never had the opportunity, I say, to pursue our higher education. <laughs> <laughs> so he ended up surface line, cruisers, destroyers, uh, amphibious warfare ships. Uh, so he ended up at the Naval War College professionally in the war game department. Uh, as his tour between uh, department heads, and uh, I, I, I left the I lacked active duty. Um, it, it was it was going to be problematic. I, I kept, they kept sending me from one shipyard to another shipyard to another shipyard. They saw Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and said he's an engineer. We sent him to a shipyard. But it kind of made sense. But then the selection boards decided if they're going to make you a lieutenant commander or not. See, he hasn't been to sea. We're not going to make him. So I said, screw that all. And um, I could say screw on this program. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but anyway, so I, I said, yeah. And, and, and I found I found a, I, so I, I affiliated with the reserves and went back to um, operations analysis and tactical support for the, for the submarine force. And in the meantime, I, I got my master's degree in physics and I went and I got a, a contractor job that did, did similar things. So, um, uh, so when my brother Dan, who, who unfortunately passed away about six years ago, but um, uh, founded the organization, he brought me in, and, and then we it was a, it was a two person show for about the first five years. We started to build a professional staff out of our the fans that kept coming back and seemed to really enjoy us. And how many um, people do you have on your running your? Uh, well, it depends on what you mean by the word have. Uh, we have uh, we have a, a core of about six or eight people. Um, uh, we have a number a number of other people that will show up for this convention or that, depending on where they are. So. Uh, the the long term peripheral, I'd say, is about twenty. Uh, but uh, as far as the, the core group we have, it's about it's about six or eight. It seems like a lot of moving parts. That, uh, it can be, be especially since we're so far away. You know, it's a distributed organization. You know, we 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 uh, came upon each other at these conventions, and of course, at the conventions are you know, people travel for hundreds of miles to be here. So most of our core is uh, based in Ohio. Uh, I'm in uh, south uh, southeastern Connecticut near the. Uh, Peripheral, peripheral to the submarine base in Groton, where I, I worked for the last uh, ten years uh, before I retired fully. Uh, so I'm still there, and uh, so we have other people who'll travel to these conventions for wherever. But most of our planning is done uh, on Discord or Skype uh, uh, and teleconferences, uh, and uh, we put and we we see each other. You know, three times actually see to the three or four times a year at the conventions or at a, a camp where we come together and actually do high concentration planning. Hey, we're kind of getting toward the end of our time. Uh, okay. One more question, because uh, you, you run a contemporary game as well. Who's the the geopolitical you know danger that we should be like in the real world like looking at these? Well, China, uh, we we the way we model it is China. Uh, China is um, the way we model China is to tell the Chinese players that uh, this is the Chinese century. Uh, historians refer to the 20th century as the American century. The Chinese feel that 100 years from now, historians will be referring to the 21st century as the Chinese century. Uh, but the introduction to our Chinese cell is the introduction of the Chinese century. Some assembly required, <laughs> so it's up to them, and we and uh, give them a number of potential directions that the cell can take. Uh, and we model the Chinese cell in terms of um, two major factions, the Maoists and the industrialists. The industrialists saying we need the industrial and economic power if we're going to become the dominant 
superpower of the 21st century. And the Mao was saying, if we give up on the, these Marxist dreams, the dream is lost. We're the last hope. You know, so the Soviet Union evaporated. All of the communist cells throughout the world have, have essentially fallen to Western imperialism. Uh, so they're they're and they're basically balanced. And then there's a, a Chinese national ethnic, uh, which is the, the swing vote. Uh, they're about half the size of the other two. Uh, so uh, they they need to appeal to to this um, uh, Chinese identity, uh, which includes not not only in China but but, but globally, uh, to to say okay, which way are you going to go? And the idea is you know after the the Vatican would say after a fat pope a skinny pope, <laughs> so after a period of working on Chinese industry and, and environment, there's there's going to be some type of a resurgence of ideology. But anyway, to get back to your point, we we ultimately we model China as the the world threat but at the same time with levels of potential for cooperation with the United States. Uh and that's for uh, Chinese and American players to actually try to navigate. Uh yeah, it seems like it's much more of a <clears throat> economic uh threat than like your traditional like we're going to be shooting at each other threat. It's like it's like we yeah. and correct me <clears throat> if I'm wrong, it's like they and other people much better at the long game planning where we yeah. at least recently seems like we we're, we're thinking in four year increments and they're like, exactly. you know, a hundred year plan, which is it, yeah, yeah. real yeah. dangerous. And, and, and to, to, to that, that, uh, that mindset, anything shorter than a hundred years is short term planning. Whereas, uh, here in the United States where we have the corporate culture that the next quarterly report is, is absolutely important. And, um, and there, there are weaknesses in both aspects at the same, oh, but, uh, uh, but it's important to recognize where the other person's coming from. Um, some people say that the U.S. and China are on a collision course. I'd say there that there's going to be an intersection. We're going to have to find some type of a way to get along with each other or things are going to get really bad. And to, to re- refer to your point that it's an economic competition, well, in 1890, some people would say, you know the Germany the Germany Britain thing was an economic competition, <laughs> yeah. and we see how that happened, how that played out in the first half of the twentieth yeah, century. It definitely could be a lead up uh, to something worse. Uh, yeah, if you don't you know, pay attention uh, exactly. now. Exactly. Now uh, we uh, personally, I feel fundamentally that there are that there are weaknesses in the communist system uh, that will ultimately, and I think I've already started to turn turn back China. They seem they looked like they were unstoppable 15 years ago as far as their economic expansion, uh, but at the same time, yeah, I, I see our the... I see our trade with with China at the same time being equivalent to what Lenin said that when it's time to hang the last capitalist, he'll sell us the rope. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know going back to the Cold War. It's like we didn't beat Russia by physical violence. It's like we outspent them and, and yeah. they. Ran out of money trying to keep up and exactly, <laughs> exactly. Them out, out expanded them. But uh, additionally, we we also have been focusing on uh, Russia as as the the, the immediate threat. Um, we're, we'll be focusing our our first game this afternoon is going to be looking at Europe, Ukraine, Russia, and that deal. And um, and our we'll have a panel tomorrow to discuss the the Russia Ukraine war and its current status. Okay. Final, uh, so where uh, are we going? Final thing, uh, where can people find you, find your company? We have, uh, we have a Facebook page, um, National, National Security Decision Making. We are, in theory, we are, we're officially a nonprofit educational organization. We, we were 15 years ago, but that kind of evaporated when our, our on-staff lawyer got ill. Uh, but we've reincorporated. So, uh, so, we're, so we're, we're incorporated, I think, in the state of Ohio as a national, uh, as a nonprofit organiza- educational organization. And we want to try to keep things small. Uh, we, to, this, to us, this is a hobby. 
if anybody wants to bring us in we're we're interested especially in uh, seeing if anyone if uh, getting people to market our uh, revolutionary war game we think there's going to be a lot of attention as 250th anniversaries of key revolutionary war events come up in trying to examine some of these things and if we're there with a we can bring you this game and it's easy set up and we're cheap we just want travel expenses basically because you know most of our senior staff are retired <laughs> and, and, and like i said it's yeah. a hobby anything brad you want to <clears throat> ask no i mean for me as a civilian it's you know i would be curious to see how i would play out in you know some of those scenarios somebody that hasn't had yeah, that level of experience these, uh... um I don't know. You know, I, I absolutely could see the draw just hearing you talk about, you know, everything and like, hmm. Yeah. Our, our, our heyday in the early 1990s was in the, the, the twilight of the, the, the first Gulf War. And we were feeling, America was feeling we're on top of them. We spent a trillion dollars in the Reagan arms buildup and, the, and it, we would argue it destroyed the Soviet Union trying to keep up. But then we were able to showcase everything by pushing the Iraqis out of Kuwait. Uh, and, but a lot of that faded, and we and we ended up trying evolving into studying the world uh, and uh, these other cultures and, ha and how this interplay with Iran, for example, uh, with their theocracy, and, uh, uh, and uh, Japan with trying to main maintain an industrial, uh, industrial trade uh, dominance uh, as, as things were eclipsing for them. And it, it just, uh, we're, we're, we're evolving, we're changing with the times, uh, and um, uh, it, uh, we've tried to try to keep up with things. And uh, uh, some of the cell, our, our turkey cell, we have it, it exists, but it's really kind of obsolete. You know, with now the turkey is basically a one-party a one state. We have a hard time modeling true dictatorships uh, because we don't, want to, to we don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to make one player dominant over everybody else. And what we usually try to do is wave him away and say, "Okay, your 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 people are the senior staff or your the counselors, and whatever decision you make, he's going to follow." And that's not very satisfying. Uh, but that's the way we do it. Um, so. All right. Well, thank you for your time, sir. Uh, thank you, you very much. Good uh, good rest <clears throat> of your con. And that's all we got for you this week. A little Cobra Kai, a little leftover Dragon Con interviews. Uh, if you want to follow us, check us out on CigarNerdPodcast.com. We're also on the ESO Network at ESONetwork.com. We're on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and the YouTubes at CigarNerdPod. Uh, get your energy drinks at StrikeForceEnergy.com, promo code CigarNerds. Get your shirts at RealMenSmokeCigars.com. Lost a bunch of weight. I need to go order some new shirts. Uh, and also... Finish him. And this has been a recording of the Cigar Nerd Podcast. We are your hosts, Smokin' Joe and Brad Jackson. Join us next time for more adventures in nerddom. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.